Welcome to the return of the Primal Endurance Podcast. This is your host, Brad Kearns, and we are going on a journey to a kinder, gentler, smarter, more fun, more effective way to train for ambitious endurance goals. Visit primalendurance.fit to join the community and enroll in our free video course. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. Welcome to part two of the 115 things you need to know to be a primal endurance athlete. Download the free ebook at primalendurance.fit to get a written account of these insights for handy reference But for now, we are working our way through the list. We are in the first of six categories of insights called aerobic training. So part one, we covered the first 14 insights and we got a bunch more. We're going to burn through and give you that complete picture of what it means to have a training program that emphasizes aerobic development without the risks of breakdown and burnout that are so common. So as we jump to insight number 15 on aerobic training. High-intensity workouts are not advised until a strong aerobic base is built, as evidenced by steady improvement in math test results. So you can go back and listen to a few of the insights from part one if you have no idea what I'm talking about here. Hopefully you're working through this in proper progression. But the high-intensity workouts are so valuable and can deliver really quick and profound fitness improvements, but you have to be very careful with how you integrate those into your training schedule. I made the comparison between taking the time to build a giant, efficient, energy-burning Tesla 
versus fine-tuning and putting new spark plugs in a crappy old car that's billowing smoke and will never go as fast as the big engine. So you want to build that big engine and that term base is so appropriate because what you are doing when you build your aerobic system is you elevate the base from which you launch your impressive high-intensity workouts that give you so much gratification and sense of satisfaction running the intervals, doing the time trials, doing the hill repeats, getting tough and competitive and honing and, and fine-tuning for the, uh, the season ahead or what have you. But until you have a strong aerobic base, until you're progressing steadily without interruption from setbacks like illnesses or injuries or fatigue, uh, there's no call to introduce high-intensity workouts. There's great examples from uh, my time on the triathlon circuit, my own experience, and great athletes like Mike Pig, who famously didn't do any speed workouts for a period of a couple years in training. All he did was train at a comfortable aerobic pace and then fly to the races on the international circuit and win and win again and win again because he was finally taking care of his body uh, under guidance from Dr. Phil Maffetone, who has preached this for so many decades that you can slow down in order to go faster on the race course. And it absolutely works. And the insights have been validated by the performances by all elite athletes in every endurance sport for at least uh, 60 years now, going back to the time of the great running coach, Arthur Lydiard in New Zealand, who first popularized over distance training for his track and field athletes. And then they went on to smash world records and win Olympic gold medals with this uh, new style of training where they were building the aerobic base instead of just killing themselves every day, running circles fast around a track. So be patient and wait to introduce those high intensity workouts until you have some good aerobic development and test yourself frequently with that maximum aerobic function test to track your progress. Number 16, even a slight stimulation of anaerobic metabolism during a workout can accelerate sugar burning for up to 72 hours after the workout, compromising fat reduction efforts. So the metabolic function that's happening during your workout is sending a strong signal to your hormones, to your genetic switches, to behave that way in the aftermath. So you're teaching your body to become a good fat burner when you burn fat during workouts. When you do those high-stress, high-intensity workouts, those prolonged cardiovascular sessions where you're in the sugar-burning zone, exceeding maximum aerobic heart rate, that is going to have a metabolic effect for up to four days, excuse me, three days after the workout, according to research. This is cited by Dr. Maffetone. And so if you are constantly uh, dipping into the sugar-burning zones, you are going to promote carbohydrate-dependency eating and lifestyle patterns. And that's a tough way to go because it goes hand-in-hand -hand with fatigue, uh, mood swings, energy swings, uh, appetite cravings, especially for uh, quick energy carbohydrates. And so your ideal approach is to emphasize fat burning in your training and emphasize fat burning in everyday life. That's how you can uh, maintain stable, stable energy mood and especially appetite and succeed in dropping excess body fat with a strategic approach, including uh, sensible workouts rather than chronic, overly stressful workouts. Number 17 is besides exceeding aerobic maximum heart rate during chronic cardio patterns, endurance athletes are often guilty of an overly regimented, overly consistent approach which brings a high risk of overstress and burnout. 
Ah, that term consistency is so frustrating to me at times because it's bantered about like it's the ultimate end all to be a successful human being, an athlete, as well as everything else. You just got to be consistent. You got to be consistent with your daily routine. You got to be consistent at work, uh, answering all your emails. You got to be consistent with your workouts and your weekly mileage. And your goal next year is to be more consistent. Well, uh, in a certain context, of course, that's a relevant insight. We want to consistently live a healthy lifestyle, make good food choices, uh, show good sleeping patterns, and of course, get sufficient exercise and training appropriate for our competitive goals. But when you fixate on a consistent application of stress to the body day in, day out, without regard for the many, many other variables that might influence your training decisions, that's when you dig yourself a deep hole of overstress and burnout. And because of the uh, high competitive intensity, the high work ethic, the type A mindset, the type A personality that's attracted to endurance goals, we often fall into that trap of looking at a piece of paper or a spreadsheet or all the wearables and the technology that we have access to. So we want to have a consistent uh, application of wattage when we're pedaling our bicycle every time we exercise or have a similar time every time we go into the swimming pool and swim laps. Uh, That can easily override the vastly more important and more effective intuitive approach to training. And boy, the even the world's elite athletes that I've, that I've observed for decades uh, have this flexibility and this intuitive aspect to their training. Now, they're also very, very consistent. And as you'll learn further in the show, analyzing the training schedule of the great marathoner, Eluid Kipchoge, he is incredibly consistent and delivers a very impressive week of training that is very similar week in and week out as he builds and builds, but never overtaxes himself and never digs himself into a deep hole. So consistency in that context, hey, that's wonderful, but essentially he's backing into that concept by making good decisions along the way. And so he would never sacrifice, no elite athlete would ever sacrifice um, increased risk of injury just for the sake of consistency. Yet we make these mistakes all the time. Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever had an overuse injury, like a stress fracture. Uh, I have one in in college, and upon reflection, it's an absolute uh, mark of stupidity that I put myself into that uh, pain and experienced that level of pain over and over at repeated workouts until finally uh, the stress fracture occurred and made the pain intolerable to be able to run a step. But I, I, you know, inch there over and over again in the interest of maintaining a consistent training schedule rather than feeling that intense pain along my shin and saying, gee, I better not run at all until this pain resolves. Okay, so there's the uh, the knock against consistency or second-guessing, expanding your perspective about what that term means and beware of an overly consistent approach, number 17. Here we go with number 18. Aerobic and anaerobic workouts as well as primal aligned eating, all help improve mitochondrial function, protecting you from stress-induced oxidative damage and helping to delay the aging process. So again, a burgeoning field of uh, alternative health and medicine is this idea that uh, the mitochondria uh, are the, the essence of health and longevity, and dysfunctional mitochondria represent the root cause of 
a incredible variety of diseases, including the major killers like heart disease, cancer, and so forth. And so the mitochondria are the energy-producing powerhouses located inside of most cells in the body, and they allow you to process energy efficiently when they are utilized. And when you are burning fat, you are utilizing mitochondria. Uh, on, the, on the contrary, glucose can be burned directly in the cell without the activation of mitochondria, so it generally uh, is considered a dirty burning fuel in this context, especially when you're doing this at high level or uh, high energy expenditure. And that would imply or that would characterize a typical endurance training session, especially if you're going at a, a high heart rate, right? So you're burning a lot of glucose in the muscle cells. You're doing it quickly. You're working hard for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever you're doing. And that is generating a lot of reactive oxygen species, aka free radical in the bloodstream. Uh, the smoke from the fire, remember that important analogy. So when we get good at mitochondrial function, we are very efficient at processing the energy from the foods we eat rather than uh, experiencing the variety of problems that are so common today when we have a uh, diet heavy in processed foods that cause a dysfunction in the mitochondria, in particular, the refined industrial seed oils that are the most toxic uh, agent in the modern food supply. And when we consume a lot of those, they uh, immediately and directly compromise fat metabolism. So they compromise the mitochondria's ability to burn off, uh, to, to burn uh, stored body fat, to mobilize it into free fatty acids to use for fuel. So when your mitochondria are uh, fine-tuned and optimized through all types of all types of workouts, as well as uh, making healthy food choices, you have this uh, wonderful uh, effect of anti-aging and improved health and protection from oxidative stress. However, there's that uh, very important uh, balance beam to walk on because when you overdo it, you can damage the mitochondria uh, from an overly stressful, chronically stressful training approach. There's a good passage in the book Primal Endurance from Dr. Peter Atia talking about how uh, the mitochondria can leak out into the bloodstream, which is a, a really bad thing to happen uh, when they're chronically overheated, uh, for example, uh, doing a lot of uh, difficult, challenging, stressful workouts with insufficient recovery. So there's a, uh, a little lesson on the importance of uh, fine-tuning mitochondrial function. And then we go to number 19. Mitochondria burn fat and ketones more cleanly than they do glucose. Glucose burning generates more free radicals, causing oxidative damage and accelerated aging. And of course, these are generalizations. And when I talk about the damage throughout many of these insights, I'm talking about taking things to excess. So of course, when you're going and doing a properly conducted sprint workout or a strength training session, uh, glucose is going to be your preferred fuel because you're working at high intensity. Anytime you work at high intensity, you're going to be preferential to glucose where fat metabolism is going to be uh, de-emphasized because it's not um, quick enough to supply uh, the appropriate amount of ATP to the cells when they're trying to work hard and really do powerful explosive uh, performance. So the fat is prioritized when you're going for long duration and glucose and other fuel sources like ATP creatine phosphate when you're going really fast. So uh, there's this wonderful account of uh, the substrate utilization at various exercise durations and intensities. So when you're going in the book, uh, when you're going all out from 
zero to seven seconds. So pure maximum explosive performance. You are using the ATP creatine phosphate system. And then uh, when you go from seven seconds to 30 seconds, you are burning ATP directly through slightly different ATP lactate pathway. That's where you get that lactic acid accumulation, but it's also used for fuel. It's recycled into fuel uh, for all out efforts up to 30 seconds. And then when you exceed 30 seconds and go up to around two minutes, you are burning primarily glucose. So glycolytic exercise for uh, high intensity efforts lasting very short duration. And then once you hit an all-out effort again, we're talking about, so an all-out effort of up to 30 seconds, and then 30 seconds to two minutes. Uh, once you get over two minutes, you're burning a mixture of glucose and fat. And of course, that ratio changes and alters all the way up to uh, exercising for uh, 24 hours or what have you, where you're burning mostly fat and very little glucose. Okay, so there's the, um, the substrate utilization lesson. And then uh, back into the insight. So you got that insight number 19, that mitochondria help you burn fuel more cleanly, especially fat and ketones. Number 20, nose breathing during exercise ensures the most efficient exchange of oxygen on each breath and helps you maintain an aerobic pace. Uh, so that's an interesting and very useful technique to uh, bring into your training where you decide to breathe through your nose only during these comfortably paced aerobic workouts. And that definitely keeps you honest because if your pace escalates for whatever reason, you're not paying attention, you're going up a hill, whatever, it's going to be very difficult to obtain sufficient oxygen while breathing through your nose only. So that is going to get you to slow right back down to maintain uh, this comfortable breathing pattern. And when you use your nose only, you're compelled to draw a deeper breath. So you're utilizing the diaphragm appropriately to get a full exchange of oxygen, activating the, uh, the oxygen-rich rich lower lobes of the lungs, which are on the bottom. So you want to use your entire lung capacity rather than the typical narrow, uh, the, the shallow panting breath that we often uh, kick into when we're opening up our mouth and uh, taking in uh, an excess of oxygen more than we need and not even being that efficient with the exchange. And I've gotten so much more interested in this topic since uh, writing this insight into the Primal Endurance book many years ago uh, and great uh, work like The Oxygen Advantage from Patrick McCune and Breath by James Nestor go deep into this concept of improving your breathing effectiveness to generate improvements in athletic performance and reduce the stress impact of the workout. So nasal breathing, nasal diaphragmatic breathing help trigger parasympathetic function and help tone down the fight or flight response that is associated with the shallow panting breath. And there's way more on this. We'll do entire shows dedicated to breathing where if you start to get interested in this concept and start implementing some advanced breathing practices as advocated in those two books and also in Brian McKenzie's wonderful Shift Adapt program. So you can visit that website and see what he's doing where he's very interested in breathing as a centerpiece of athletic training. Uh, he's also the guy responsible for CrossFit Endurance. So he's been a big figure in the endurance scene for a long time. And the, uh, the idea quickly here 
is that when you can get good at breathing in a minimal amount of oxygen necessary, you improve your carbon dioxide tolerance. And when you improve your carbon dioxide tolerance, you deliver more oxygen to working muscles throughout the body. So by breathing minimally, rather than breathing maximally and just sucking in a ton of air, that's when you have uh, reduced carbon dioxide tolerance and breathing in a whole bunch of air is actually resulting in delivering less oxygen to the working muscles that really want it. Paradoxical as it may sound, and I'm just giving you the basic insights here, you can learn much more by digging into those books. Uh, it's pretty wild, but this is not um, some funky new uh, training strategy. This is a fundamental of human biology, and the thing I'm speaking about right now is known as the Bohr effect, B-O-H-R effect. That is when we can uh, improve our carbon dioxide tolerance, the this red blood cells let go of more oxygen, delivering it to target organs and tissues throughout the body. And improving carbon dioxide tolerance entails breathing minimally. So if you want to know uh, what to do instead of get more and more into the why and get confused, I love this takeaway insight from Patrick McCune's book, where he instructs us to breathe through our nose as minimally as possible at all times for the rest of your life. That is how you're going to uh, moderate uh, stress hormones and how you're going to gain an athletic performance advantage by needing less breath. Now, uh, if you're doing an interval workout or in a race, uh, it's not going to work to close your mouth and breathe through your nose only. So we're asking you to breathe as minimally as possible at all times. So what I have been integrating into my workouts is a nose breathing strategy where I'll do my warm-ups, uh, easy jogging, uh, whatever, dynamic stretching, and my mouth is closed the entire time. By the way, when you're breathing through your nose, you're getting improved filtration, moistening, and purifying of the air, especially uh, optimizing the temperature. So if you're out in the cold and you're burning up your lungs by breathing through your mouth, you want to definitely utilize the filtration that we have in the nose. Uh, the nose also helps us generate nitric oxide into the air that comes into our lungs, which makes it much more efficiently distributed throughout the body. So that's the great uh, benefit of breathing through your nose. But if you finish your interval and you're sucking air, of course, you're going to open your mouth, no matter what someone says on a podcast, what to do. You're going to open your mouth and breathe in whatever air you need to recover from a hard effort. But then the objective here is to start paying attention to this idea of immediately uh, and, and as quickly as possible, gearing back down. That's why Brian McKenzie uses that term, gearing down, and they have five gears described. You want to gear back down to eventually minimize breathing, going back to nose-only breathing, for example, during the recovery process. And this has been a wonderful experience for me to implement this new strategy into my training. And I've noticed over time some great improvement at my ability to tolerate carbon dioxide buildup in the bloodstream, thereby through the Bohr effect, delivering more oxygen to my working muscles and tissues. So I encourage you to learn more about that subject and we'll have more content here for you. Uh, but to the quick insight, nose breathing during exercise allows for an efficient use of oxygen on each breath. 
I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code BRAD20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. Number 21. The black hole designates an exercise intensity that is slightly too strenuous to be aerobic, but not difficult enough to qualify as a peak performance speed workout. Unfortunately, the black hole heart rate range is the default landing area for many exercisers, ranging from novice to competitive athletes. So the black hole is when you exceed maximum aerobic heart rate and start to drift up toward your anaerobic threshold. Your anaerobic threshold is that point where Uh, lactate accumulates in the blood faster than it can be buffered and that is associated with your ability to perform uh, in an all-out racing effort of around an hour so that's kind of your time trial pace if you're imagining a bicycle time trial lasting for an hour or a running race lasting for an hour and when you train uh, to improve that anaerobic threshold this is a very uh, popular and effective workout for endurance athletes but it's quite difficult Uh, You know, imagine holding your potential hour-long all-out pace for a series of intervals like six times three minutes was a popular anaerobic threshold session that I did a lot uh, when I was in triathlon, uh, six times three minutes with 30 seconds rest between these efforts. It's a difficult workout. And so uh, it happens only at the appropriate time in your training patterns and infrequently, and then you get a great uh, fitness boost from doing a properly conducted anaerobic threshold workout. However, if you are drifting up near there uh, repeatedly during routine training sessions, you're going to experience inferior aerobic development because your workouts are slightly too stressful and they are not emphasizing fat burning. In this black hole area, you're burning an increasing percentage of glucose rather than recall the definition of maximum aerobic function heart rate the maximum aerobic benefits, the maximum fat oxidation per minute with a minimal amount of anaerobic stimulation. So now in the black hole, you're getting a little bit more anaerobic stimulation 
you're still burning a lot of fat, but it's not the highest point of fat oxidation per minute. So these workouts are slightly stressful, as Dave Scott calls them, quote unquote, kind of hard. And they basically uh, help you develop into a mediocre athlete where you're working at a kind of hard pace over and over and over, fine tuning that small engine rather than allowing the aerobic development to occur appropriately. And then when it's time to hit it hard and you go and work the threshold, hey, you are pounding those pedals and you are going fast or you're cranking that uh, that rowing uh, rowing oar or you're running uh, nicely flying down the trail rather than having trouble with the high energy output areas because you're just uh, constantly fatigued from working a little bit too hard at most at most training sessions. Okay. Um, yeah, why is the black hole the default landing area for many exercisers from novices to competitive athletes? Well, perhaps the novices don't know any better, and so they feel like they, they want to get that subjective sensation of getting a good workout, and what happens there is you're going to accelerate your pace until you feel that slight discomfort associated with uh, excess from aerobic maximum but below anaerobic threshold. Everyone's smart enough not to uh, go up to the red line and think that's a normal routine workout. But when you see the population of people sitting on the exercise bike in the local neighborhood fitness facility doing the group workout, they don't know any better and they feel like they should be getting a sweat. They should be breathing uh, with a little bit of uh, labor, a little bit of difficulty during the workout in order to get an appropriate workout. And as we talk about early on in the book, when you do these types of workouts, you get an immediate instant gratification of the endorphins flowing in the bloodstream afterward, these pain-killing, powerful hormones that make you feel like you had a job well done, and you feel relaxed, and you feel euphoric, and you feel like, wow, my training is really working, and it makes me feel great every single day. Well, this <laughs> it might be better than sitting on the couch, uh, but if you want to escalate your sophistication and reach your competitive potential, you want to do something entirely different than uh, prompting that in, prompting that endorphin buzz uh, frequently with workouts that are in that black hole. So let's stay away from the black hole. This is also known as the concept of polarized training, where you're either going very comfortable for the most part, or once in a while, uh, opening up the throttle appropriately and letting it rip. Okay, number 22, a wireless heart rate monitor is essential to conducting proper aerobic workouts because intensity at aerobic maximum is so comfortable that it's easy to drift into the black hole. And this happens unknowingly, unwittingly, because again, you're not uh, getting that strong perceived exertion message that, wow, I'm really overdoing it right now. You can't tell what's happening from a metabolic standpoint that you've exceeded your maximum fat oxidation per minute and are inviting more uh, glucose burning. It just, it's too difficult to perceive. And this is true years and decades later, I still need to rely on my heart rate monitor to keep me honest. Now, I wrote wireless heart rate monitor uh, however many years ago. And since then, um, I believe the technology has improved to the extent that a smartwatch can give you a pretty accurate heart rate readout. Now, we wanna be extremely accurate here, so I'd still recommend getting the highest quality heart rate monitor, which I believe is the wireless trans transmission from the chest strap. And I have read research that uh, the early Apple Watch and some of the other uh, watches have a, a error margin uh, that's unacceptable. I mean, even a 10% error margin is just too much when we're talking about uh, drifting up toward 
that aerobic maximum heart rate and possibly exceeding it. So make sure that you're very accurately monitoring your heart rate and consider uh, piggybacking the numbers, the technology, with that nasal breathing uh, so that you can really put yourself in check and realize when you're at risk of uh, drifting above aerobic maximum. And on the safe side, when in doubt, train well below your aerobic maximum. Uh, When I was a triathlete and was putting in a lot of weekly hours of training, I would routinely pedal my bicycle at 30, 40, even 50 beats below my maximum aerobic heart rate at the time of 155 beats per minute. Uh, When I'm pedaling along on flat ground at 105 beats per minute, it's not too strenuous. I'm probably going 14, 15 miles an hour uh, back when I was in top shape, of course, by comparison. Uh, But it was still an effective aerobic training session with very minimal stress and contributing to uh, honing and uh, building that aerobic base because the same aerobic energy producing uh, muscles, enzymes, uh, systems are kicking into gear when you're going faster and faster and faster, even up to race pace. You're still using the same systems. You're just turning them on. You're kind of uh, taking your race car out for a spin and going 50 miles an hour instead of 100, but the car is still getting a workout, if I can use uh, that analogy. Okay, so get that heart rate and be disciplined and honor it and stay away from the black hole. Number 23, and we have 24 total to get through the first section of aerobic training, so we're almost done here. Slowing down to perform better in endurance competition has been proven effective by the world's leading athletes for nearly 60 years now, but it's still difficult to convince many casual enthusiasts about its effectiveness. I think I just explained why, where you're going for that instant gratification, you're going for that endorphin buzz, and you have your ego in the mix trying to convince you that you're not quote-unquote getting a workout until you feel that strain and discomfort. So we want to embrace the uh, all the knowledge base that we've acquired over decades, the example set by the greatest athletes in the world, and apply that sensibly to the idea that you build a base by going very slowly and comfortably. And for comparison, if you think about uh, the elite athlete for a moment, the Tour de France cyclists who you once saw when you were on vacation in Colorado and the group passed by and were climbing the mountain pass at an incredibly high rate of speed. They were phenomenal. And boy, wasn't that amazing to see them. Guess what? Their relative heart rate during that aerobic training session of 70% of their maximum or whatever Uh, If you compare that to your own effort and your own fitness level, it's going to equate to a nice leisurely pedal through the neighborhood. Same with seeing uh, you go to the Boston Marathon and you're in your hotel and you're out there at the park and there goes a pack of elite runners uh, getting ready uh, with an easy jog two days before the race and they're uh, flying past you and you're like, wow, look how fast those guys are running. They must be running six minute miles. Yeah, well, guess what? Kipchoge runs the marathon in a four minute and 34 second pace per mile. So if you see Kipchoge running by at six minute mile, that's a minute and a half slower pace per mile than his marathon race pace. Now let's plug that in to your own personal example. If you're a four hour marathoner, what is that? Uh, Is that a nine minute pace per mile? Something like that. That would mean a training session running 10 and a half minutes per mile. So for many of us, 
who are you know sub competitive level a brisk walk is a very very appropriate and effective training session to go and run your half marathon in 2 hours or run your 10k in 47 minutes or whatever your competitive goals are and people are shaking their heads going wait a second what do you mean i can't even run i have to do brisk walk that is how the body works and that is how the aerobic system develops so we want to set that beeper alarm we want to spend a lot of time training well below the maximum aerobic heart rate, as I related when I'm pedaling my bicycle around at 105 beats per minute, uh, 50 beats below my maximum aerobic heart rate, very slow, but still getting excellent aerobic development with a minimal amount of stress. And I mentioned the Tour de France athlete, I mentioned the marathon runner, um, the swimmers are another fantastic example. Michael Phelps, the 23-time Olympic gold medalist swimming and training for five or six hours a day, the vast majority of his training in the pool was highly aerobic. One reason is because swimming is less physically stressful than the weight-bearing gravity sports like running, and so it's more difficult to get into the anaerobic heart rates. They do uh, deliver a lot of anaerobic stimulation during those swimming workouts, but it's much easier to recover from and so forth. But again, think about the example of swimming for five hours a day to contest events that last uh, from 47 seconds to uh, four or five minutes, the longest event that Michael Phelps would do, like the 400 IM. So for very, very short competitive events, they're doing extreme over distance to build that aerobic system and hone the anaerobic system, the icing on the cake from a wonderful aerobic base. And oh, oh boy, that's about as emphatic as I can get with the importance of slowing down to go faster. And then we'll end with number 24. The seven habits of highly effective primal endurance athletes are sleep, stress rest balance, intuitive and personalized training schedule, emphasizing aerobic development, a structured approach to high-intensity workouts, complementary movement and lifestyle practices in place, and periodization. And I have uh, two shows, two-part show, uh, detailing those seven habits of highly effective primal endurance athletes, but they get a nice cameo here on the 115 things you need to know list. So that concludes part two of this multi-part series. And we've covered all 24 of the insights in the aerobic training category. And we will commence part three when we are talking about periodization with numerous insights on that important topic. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And the Schwank portable infrared grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings, hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables. 
I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouth-watering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K. Everything you cook, faster, juicier. The speed is so important, so convenient. Uh, There's a drip tray on the bottom, so you let the juices drip down. I love the bison burger, the venison burgers. That's my game. And then you can add a mixture of butter, spices, whatever you want, into the tray. Pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor. Are you getting hungry? I am. <laughs> Let's go to schwankgrills.com, S-C-H-W-A-N-K, grills.com, and up your home cooking game. This is a one-of-a-kind grill. I have a great discount code for you, of course. It's BRAD150 to save $150 off your purchase of a Schwank grill. I hope you enjoy this episode and encourage you to check out the Primal Endurance Mastery Course at primalendurance.fit. This is the ultimate online educational experience where you can learn from the world's great coaches and trainers, diet, peak performance, and recovery experts, as well as lengthy one-on-one interviews from several of the greatest endurance athletes of all time, not published anywhere else. It's a major educational experience with hundreds of videos, but you can get free access to a mini course with an ebook summary of the Primal Endurance Approach and nine step-by-step videos on how to become a Primal Endurance Athlete. This mini course will help you develop a strong basic understanding of this all-encompassing approach to endurance training that includes primal-aligned eating to escape carbohydrate dependency and enhance fat metabolism, building an aerobic base with comfortably paced workouts, strategically introducing high-intensity strength and sprint workouts, emphasizing rest recovery and annual periodization, and finally cultivating an intuitive approach to training instead of the usual robotic approach of fixed weekly workout schedules. Just head over to primalendurance.fit and learn all about the course and how we can help you go faster and preserve your health while you're at it. 